women who have survived unthinkable and unspeakable violence behind the closed doors of their own homes are speaking out more than ever before. This podcast is dedicated to sharing the stories and journeys of women survivors turned entrepreneurs and how they use their strength and tenacity to help other women move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Flow Rising. This show contains adult topics and often contains triggering stories. Audience discretion is advised. This podcast is proudly sponsored by A Contagious Smile Podcast. A Contagious Smile is a platform that assists both special needs families and survivors of domestic violence. Through her podcast, Victoria helps shine the spotlight on amazing individuals who've battled through hell, conquered it, and now want to share their stories so that you too can find your inner light. Find, follow, and listen to A Contagious Smile on your favorite podcast platform. Hello and welcome to this episode. I'm the host, Megan Anderson, and today I am joined by my guest, Shana Francesca. Shana's a speaker, writer, and entrepreneur. She helps people live more joyful and connected lives through the principle of life design. Shana believes our present and future are transformed when we infuse our lives with intention, We design our lives and realize the power in accepting ourselves as the author of our story. Shana, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Megan. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to hearing a bit about your story as to how you ended up where you are, because that is definitely part of what we do here on Flow Rising. But before we dive into your personal story, share with us a little bit about life design, because that's not something I've necessarily understand myself, and I'm sure the audience is a little curious. So what is life design and, you know, how you work with clients a little bit? Yeah. So life design really became an outgrowth of my work as an interior designer. And I started to realize as I, as I started my own business, I started the business six years ago, part-time, I really, I realized how I wanted to work with clients. If I was going to, if I was going to go through the effort of building my own business, I really wanted it to be intentional. Mm -hmm. And I, and I never, as a designer gave too many, too much, I never gave too much credence to marketing and to all of the, the trends that, that people get so sucked in by because of Pinterest and social media and all these things that are trying to get us to, to believe that this is the way your home should look. This Mm -hmm. is what you should be buying. It's all contributing to a consumerist narrative, right? And, and it, and quite frankly, that consumerist narrative consumes our lives yeah. um, right along with it. And and so I always worked with my clients in a way where I really understood or got to a place where I could understand, who are you? Mm-hmm. What is the story your life has told up until this point? And then what story do you want your life to tell as a whole? Like, what, what do you want to unfold from this point forward? We spend two thirds of our life inside of our home mm-hmm. and pr- arguably more now. Um, I hope that changes sometimes soon, but, (laughs) you know, and so our home becomes the stage from which we tell the story of our life. It is a direct reflection of our beliefs about ourselves. And when I started to recognize this connection between what we surround ourselves with Mm -hmm. and who we are on a deeper level, right? Because I understood it, but I, when I started to see that the, the, philosophies that I had as a designer impacted every aspect of our lives. When 
because design is a function of intention. When, yep. As soon as we get intentional about what we're creating and how we're creating it, it's designed. Yep. Right. And so when we recognize that there are so many rules that govern our life because of society, because of systems of oppression, uh, patriarchy, you know, white supremacy, capitalism, okay. all of these things, they, they funnel the narrative of our life from one that yeah. could be wide and broad and expansive to one that's very specific. Yeah. Very, very specific. And, mm -hmm. and so what I seek to do through life design is reopen our connection to curiosity and to intention mm. and open up the world of possibility by mm. allowing, by, by empowering people to allow themselves the freedom to break away from the rules <laughs> and yeah. live an authentic life. Because we don't even know what we don't know because our entire reality has been shaped by conformity, mm -hmm. right? Oh, and so we don't even know what's possible because our view of what's possible has been so eclipsed. Yep. And so getting curious and reconnecting to play, like yeah. just like when we were a child, right? Yes. That opens up a world of possibility and starts to make new connections in our brain to, to things that seem disparate, but aren't right. And we start yeah. to be able to engage in our lives in really beautiful ways and then get intentional about how we're living our life. Yeah. And then we're designing our life, right? Yeah. And so it's it's really life design became is now kind of the the umbrella that mm -hmm. our interior design work sits under. The interior oh. design work becomes a natural next step mm -hmm. to the life design work. Yeah. Um, but the way that people engage and are able to engage with me and with the company as you know with our interior design work is now really a big, a part of that larger life design umbrella. I love that. Yeah. I, I would have thought that you would have said life coaching, <laughs> if I'm honest, that is. Yeah. And I love that you're taking yeah. it and designing it. You know, this show, we're all, all my guests have some connection to trauma in our pasts, to domestic violence. And that's kind of what this platform is about, but what you're taking is, you know, it, it's something that all survivors go through. You know, when we leave the situation and we start healing, we go, oh my gosh, I have blinders. Like this yes. absolutely, and, and society did it and our families did it and our abusers did it. And what's weird, I say this about myself all the time. I stayed in my marriage for 18 years when he started beating me six weeks into the relationship. And I get the question all the time, why, why did, did you stay? And yeah. I, and, and people ask, and you shake your head. You're like, I hate this question. I'm like, no, I understand. It's a very valid, valid question. Mm -hmm. But the reason I stayed was what you're saying. I had intentionally, unintentionally created the jail, walked in, closed the door, handed him the keys and said, please punish me. Right. Because that's what life had taught me. That's what life had taught you. And yeah. that's and what life had taught you. To leave and it's never, it's almost never safe to leave because yeah. when a, a person leaving an abusive relationship is most likely to get murdered oh. when, when they leave. Oh. And, and when you say that to people in response to that question, that's usually my answer is, do you have any understanding or any concept of that? Do you have any understanding that that person has removed all of your connections to your safety net? They have removed all of your connections to the people around you who in fact were your support system, were yep. your village, were your community. You no longer have that community or you no longer trust that community because yep. he has usurped that community because that community hates him yep. and they hate what that has done and they hate that you're staying. And so it's not that they hate you. They're just disconnected from you because they hate him. 
right? Yeah. Or her or whoever. Or whomever it is. Yeah. Whoever it is. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I focus on I focus on um my life design really now because I wanted to open it up to so many yeah. people, really make it accessible. Number one, I make the pricing extremely accessible. Sure. And I also offer a discount to anybody who has you know, connects with me through a podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and people are welcome to reach out to me to, if, if, to make it fit their pricing, if they're like, Hey, oh, I sure. really want to do this, you know, <laughs> yeah. reach out to me and be like, Hey, this is what I can afford to pay and mm-hmm. we'll figure it out. Um, but workshops are, I do it through workshops oh, okay. and through public speaking. And so that yeah. workshop is about an hour, hour and a half. Nice. And, and it's a $70 investment, right? Oh, um, yeah, that's, no, that's it's, really it's affordable. Very accessible, but I also understand that people coming out of abusive relationships or people yep. who are marginalized communities yep. um, in <laughs> financially, I want to make sure this information yeah. is very accessible and we're forming community together. So this yep. is not about me making, you know, millions of dollars. This is about me reaching millions of people. Yeah, it's I think that is the one most endearing thing about everybody that I talk to on this show is that we are all creating businesses that are designed to help humans move move through. And, you know, what I loved um, a little bit about what you shared with me was that, you know, the reason that you do what you do is because you understand everybody has some kind of trauma. Everyone. Everybody. And we don't think about it from bullying at school. Everybody has some type, you know, some type of trauma. But also epigenetics teaches us, right? So when Mm -hmm. our, this was explained to me recently and I was like, oh yes. Okay. So (laughs) when our grandmother was Mm -hmm. pregnant with our mother, father, someone, right? But Mm -hmm. let's go with mother here. Uh, And what I mean, when I say mother, I do not mean to alienate and be specific to those born with like, I don't mean to alienate any gender. Yeah, you're Uh, fine. I'm saying female, right? So your female identifying grandmother, um, was pregnant with your mother, your yep. mother's over your, what was creating her eggs was being formed in that moment in your grandmother's womb. Yes. So all the trauma that yep. your mother experienced, yep. also her ovaries and her eggs experienced living inside yep. her body, all the stress hormones, all of the things that formed her. So all the stress hormones that your grandmother was experiencing yep. that, that while your mother was forming in her body, also your egg, the egg that formed you, also was experiencing from your grandmother. Yep. This is how generational trauma is passed down because it's passed down in our genetics. genetics. So even if we have not directly experienced trauma, if it is in our lineage, it is in our body. Yes. It exists inside of our yes. body. And so this is how generational trauma is literally passed down inside of our bodies. Physically. Physically. It's, it, uh, it affects the way that our brain is wired, the way that our body functions, the way that our heart rate mm-hmm. happens, right? It affects our heart rate. It is, when you start diving into what trauma does to us, mm-hmm. you really start to understand that we, trauma is in everyone's body. There's not a it single is. person on the planet who, had, who does not have either generational or direct relation with trauma. Yeah. And, and you're right. I think, you know, a lot of us talk about you know, when we start our, our healing journeys, that, that generational stuff opens up. And I was sharing this with the guests yesterday. I was sharing that, you know, I am the first woman in Mm. seven that we know of maybe farther back generations that did not have a girl, a daughter. I do not have a daughter. I have a son. 
and I'm the only one to not birth. And I I mean, that alone, yes, my son sadly actually experienced trauma in utero because my ex never stopped beating me, sadly. And that's something that luckily through now that we're moving on and he's in therapy and we're doing, you know, some great EMDR work, he's actually started uncovering stuff. Um, young, young stuff that he, you know, and I'm, I'm amazed at some of those therapies that, that I could do a whole show on those. Cause I'm like, Dude, I read, I read the body keeps the score a couple years ago. Uh-huh. News, news, like, like warning. If yeah. you read it, you should definitely be in therapy. You should Correct. definitely not read it on your own. It is absolutely not manageable on your own. And I'm, I'm not a health professional, but I will tell you that I had to be in therapy for three months just to be able to deal with what triggered me in that book, because the stories hit you right in your chest. You feel them in your bones because you know them because they're Mm -hmm. part of your experience in some way, shape or form, you know, the feelings. So the first half of the book is very triggering, but the second half talks about therapies. Yep. And some of the beautiful therapies and modalities being, you know, brought forward. And I absolutely could talk about them as well. Like, I may have to have you back and we'll talk all about those someday. Cause I'm I'm the same with you. Like I love reading yeah. and, and you know, yeah. I'm, I'm only three years out of my current situation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure about you. It sounds to me. And if you're open to sharing yeah. a little bit about how trauma showed up for you, cause it sounds like a lot of yours was childhood. Yeah. So it started in childhood and then just continued into yeah. adulthood. So Um, I was born into an abusive household. My -hmm. parents joined um, evangelical uh, Christianity when I was four. Mm -hmm. Um, But just before that, about six months before that. So my very first full memory um, is of trauma, is of sexual assault. It was my babysitter's son. And he was like 10, 11, 12 Mm -hmm. at the time. He was young. His father was an alcoholic. Yeah. And so it just absolutely, of course, the abuse in his own life spilled over into my yep. life. Um, he tortured me for, I, I have memories of the things he would say that he had murdered yeah. my sister. She was 18 months at the time and also being watched. I mean, horrible, horrible things, sure. but, but honestly, then I would go home and I would relay these things to my parents and they dismissed them. Right. And they dismissed them because it was my, my mom's reality. It was the reality that my dad was creating was also violent and they couldn't afford anything else. They were both working in the restaurant industry and the service mm-hmm. industry and, and, and were doing the best that they could financially. But, um, that was normalized, right? Because there was so much violence inside of our own home. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, dealing with all that physical violence, you know, the, the, all the, all the plates in the house being broken, the the phone being ripped out of the wall because mom's trying to call the cops, the cops showing up and refusing to allow my mother to file a police report um, that she should just do what her husband said and try not to piss him off next time. Um, You know, all of these things that just reinforced that help isn't coming. Mm -hmm. Help isn't coming. Right. And that's where CPTSD starts to form. So yeah. I do have CPTSD, not only from abuse, um, but also from religious trauma, because I now understand yeah. that I grew up in a cult. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a fairly, that <laughs> I came to realize in the last three years, I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> yep. Another layer. Cult. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. That's, that's a hard one. Um, 
yeah, so my parents joined evangelical Christianity when I was four, spent my life growing up inside of it. You know, yeah. at the age of 12, my father forced me to take a chastity pledge in front of my 2000 person church, Ooh. which felt extremely triggering because I knew that technically I wasn't a virgin. Yeah. And so it was very traumatizing for me and it felt like a yeah. lie and I didn't want to do it. And I said, I would do it with just our family at home. And he was like, no, it has to be public or it doesn't count. Um, and funny thing is he didn't make my, and either of my other sisters do that. Only me. Interesting. Um, well then th for the next three years, he groomed me and at 15, he sexually assaulted me. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. That's why. Uh, he was claiming me as his property. He required yeah. me to wear this custom, you know, $300 at that time, you know, I'm, I'm 38. So I was 12 at the time. Like that was a while ago. A $300 gold ring was pretty expensive. Oh, that was then. expensive back then. Yeah. Yeah. Expensive back then. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, you know, happily wanted to pay for his beautiful heart with a ribbon that's tied up into what was beautiful. I loved the ring, but at yeah. some point it actually left me, I didn't purposely lose it or get rid of it. Mm. It just left my body and I never yep. went looking for it. I was nope. like, that doesn't belong on my body anyway. Yeah. Um, and so there was a lot of really messed up things because even though I knew my father to be violent, I loved my father and I thought I was sexually safe with my own father. I was a petrified of every other man in the world, Oof. but I, I thought at least I was sexually safe with him. And then yeah. when that rug was pulled out from underneath of me, when I say it shattered my world, I mean, it shattered yep. my world. Yep. I became a fire breathing dragon, understandably. Yeah. So I have a hard time going back and even looking at my journals when I read them. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I don't read them often. Mm -hmm. I mean, someday I'll have to go through them with, with someone who will help me write my book, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> I kept journals from the time that I was like eight. So I have wow. journals all the way from the time that I was eight, all the way into my twenties, obviously the ones when I was like eight or like barely legible, but <laughs> no, sure. But that's brave of you to actually put things in writing. Well, the funny thing is that my father knew that if he didn't give me an outlet that mm. I was going to tell people, right? <gasps> so he always let me keep a journal. Oh, said, that is so messed up. You can write anything in the journal, but you can never talk about it outside of the house. So oh. my journal really became my best friend. It was the yeah. I gave it a name. It had multiple names wow. to my journal. Like I was talking to a person sure. kind of like I had read the books, Lada's diary about mm -hmm. the Holocaust and, and the way that, um, she had named her journal. And then Anne Frank, I think also named her yeah, journal. She did. Had given my journal a name because it felt like it, I needed to be talking to a person. Wow. Um, and so there was all this trauma. And then in my twenties, my father left, uh, when I was 24, he left. Um, and it was like for the first time I could breathe, but as you and I both know, just because my father left, my mother had also been abusive. Sure. Um, uh, she had been verbally abusive. She had, I, for a long time, absolutely despised my existence. Yep. And I think because she loved us so much, she wanted to protect us and she had reached out for help to her own parents, to family members and friends to say, Hey, can I live with you for six months so I can get on my feet and I can take care of my family. Yeah. And, and her parents refused. 
mm-hmm. connected to her to a family friend who let us live there. But we, all three of us, my, my mom and my sister and I were only allowed to be in one small bedroom in the wow. entire house. We were only allowed to be inside of there. And she couldn't keep two toddlers inside of a room, wow. one room all day. That's torture and inhumane. Yeah. And so we had to go back and live with my father. And wow. I think in that moment, she was broken. Yep. She, she was broken. She had reached out to a lawyer who told her if she left, that he would abuse her through the system. And yes, that was the truth. Sure. But what he should have said is, I will be an advocate for you. I will be there for you. I will connect you to the resources you need. But he didn't say any of that. He scared the shit out of her. And it was yep. like the last straw. And so at that moment, she realized she was stuck with yep. children. And so, of course, her anger spilled out to us. And my mother and I have had lots of conversations about that and have mm-hmm. reconciled that relationship and continue to have to work through healing as things come up between us. Um, but she was also physically violent until I was yeah. about 10. Yeah. Um, so there was things when my father left, there was other things to resolve, right? Sure. But I could finally take a breath because he wasn't hurting her. So she could take a breath and maybe stop lashing out irrationally at us. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and there had been other things that happened along the way. I had, I had fallen in love with someone, uh, and then he unexpectedly died. So there was like all these things where I thought I was getting out. I thought sure. I could move on. And then those things were also pulled out from underneath of me. And so there was trauma after trauma after trauma. Um, and then at, at 27 on a first date, I was kidnapped and raped. Um, but I, I want to also say like so many people, like, there's so much sexual trauma in your sure. history and I was raped as recently as three years ago, but now yeah. I, I, three years ago when it, or two years ago when it happened, I had to start diving into and understanding my, my PTSD better yep. because I was having, it's not just fight or flight, it's fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Fawn. Yep. Yeah. And so what was happening is in these situations, I was freezing and my brain was dissociating. And so my body would just be there and my brain would not. Not, And my, and literally what happens inside of your brain is that you, it shuts down your motor function. It does. Your brain betrays you and shuts down your motor function. And so you literally physically cannot escape. You cannot speak. You cannot speak. Been there. Yeah. And, and I, and I, once I knew all this, I was like, oh my God, there's so much shame. I can just shed. Right. Yeah. So much shame. Yeah. Yeah. And on on top of all of that, I'm neurodivergent. So I have ADHD and, um, I, I was diagnosed with ADHD at five, but I now understand that I believe myself to be autistic as well. Although that's not a diagnosis yet, but all of the people in my life who have been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, I'm like, I do that. Yep. Oh, I, I, I do that. Uh huh. Oh, that's how I am. Right. Yeah. So there's, like, there's like this overlap and I'm like, Oh, so yeah, it's self-diagnosis at this point, but I'm also <laughs> autism spectrum disorder, but yeah, that also plays a role because 90%, 90, nine, zero, 90% of all women diagnosed neurodivergent will experience sexual assault in their life. Yep. 90%. I believe it. They believe it. Yep. Um, it's an appalling statistic. Oh, it's yeah. Terrible. Because, because we are so forthcoming as autistic people, we believe other people are the same Yep. and that they don't have hidden motives. Um, and, and so we're more, much more easily manipulated. Yeah. And this is why this is part of why this happens. But so all of these things were going on and working through, you know, 
got, got finally got to the place, I think in my late twenties where I was really starting to understand my healing journey and yeah. really starting to kind of dive in. And yeah. really my thirties has been so beautiful and so incredible, even mm. though difficult, other difficult things have happened, yeah. but it, it felt like it feels like I'm finally in a place where I, I understand myself so much better than I ever have. I understand yeah. my healing journey. I understand my, per I've, I've decided what my purpose is. I've, yeah. I've, I've assigned myself a purpose. I have found mm -hmm. a way to, to really tap into my strengths and my abilities as, as a human being, as a neurodivergent mm -hmm. person. Um, and then to be able to be the one who understands trauma in my family and to be that person yeah. who can say, no, this is not going to the next generation. I yeah. forbid it. I forbid yeah. it. I will, stop it here. I will stop it here. I will do everything I can. I will fight tooth and nail because absolutely nothing can be worse than all the decades of, of trauma that I've been through already. Nothing can be worse than that. So like, bring it on. Let's do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, just, what, I, you know, you hear, you hear the, I've survived a hundred percent of the worst days and you're like every day. So I was, I was your age. I was 38 years old. I'm, I'm going back. Yep. I was 38 years old when I actually decided it was time to leave. Mm -hmm. So I was your, so I I'm 41, almost 42 now. And so I'm I'm looking forward to my forties being like your thirties. Like we are, I am just going through. And it's interesting yeah. what you say about being neurodivergent. Cause again, when we were younger in the eighties, girls, especially 80, I mean, the fact that you were diagnosed at five is totally a rarity. Yeah. Well, that's how pronounced it was. And that's, yeah. And I, I say, I'm not necessarily on the full, like I tend to be more towards the ADD side. Yeah. Um, yeah. But definitely that neurodivergent type of human being. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it is interesting how for me, I, uh, the sexual assault, I did not understand spousal rape. Yeah, um, and that he did not to, because we're not allowed to. No, because it belongs to your husband, husband. just households. Yeah. Yeah. And we weren't religious or anything. And, you know, I would have said that, oh, you know, we have a great sex life and oh, and I didn't realize until after I left. And this was a, mm -hmm. I mean, threw me to the floor, smacked me. I just lost it. The, the moment yeah. I read and started reading about oh, spousal right. rape yeah. and what it meant. And I was like, Cause I always said I was never, I, of all the shit that I had to deal with, you know, the choking and the pulling me across the floor by the hair and the stabbings and all the things that I had to deal with physically. I always yeah. said, I am blessed. I was never sexually assaulted until that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I it's realized. Funny. Yeah. It's funny what we try to hold on to, to create some sense of normalcy in our reality. Yep. Um, and we need it at the time. We right? do. We need it. We need yeah. it at the time because if we don't have anything to hold on to, we will literally cease to exist. And so, yeah. you know, you couldn't admit to yourself at that point. No, no. It, it, it had to be a normal sexual husband-wife relationship. It had to be completely, you know, oh nope, nope. This is my choice. This is what I want. This is what we're doing. Yeah. And, you know, it got to the. You talk about the uh, the, and it's so interesting that people don't understand the fight or flight. It's actually fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And because what, for people who don't understand what the fawn part of it, it means you're the people, the ultimate people pleaser. You do anything and everything you can to survive, to, to survive, to say whatever you need to say, to do whatever you need to do, 
lay down and open your legs is one of them. That's part of that. But what you talked about is, you know, where it's that total freezing moment. And I think this is something I, I talk about this a lot that it's, and it's the hardest part for me and and you can share how it's worked for you. But for me, it's the hardest part is I'm healing and I get in those triggered moments, especially with my fiance. Now Mm. I absolutely, I, you are looking at me. This is who I am. Talking is what I do for a living. I cannot function. And one of these lifetimes, I'm going to actually record it because people do not believe it. I'm like, no, I can't talk. And I say it's like drawing a line right across that this is still functioning, but my vocal cords, this won't work. Like I can't get a word out. There's an entire dialogue happening in your head and you wish to God you could scream it at the top of your lungs because inside your head, you're screaming it. But you know that if you use your voice to scream it, you aren't safe. No. And you're going to make it out alive. No. And the thing thing that people don't understand is when you've been taught that using your voice threatens your life, that's where your brain, your primal primal brain steps in and is like, I'm going to steal your voice because you need to survive. Yep. Right. And, and it's such a horrifying experience. Right. Terrible. And, and there's usually many contributing factors to that mm-hmm. moment. Right? And that moment happens even when we then become psychologically safe and are around people who are psychologically yeah. safe around, they might say or do or a smell, a smell sometimes will trigger Those because, are the worst because most people don't recognize or know this, but scent is our strongest connection to memory and emotion. Memory. Oh, the strongest. Yes. And when I say that, people are like, really? And I'm like, think about your grandmother's house. Think about your yep. aunt's house. Think about your favorite person's house. Think about the smell. It It is 100% our strongest trigger for memory and emotion. Yep. And so sometimes a song will play. Yep. There's certain musical artists that I cannot listen I to. Listen to. Horrifying events happened yep. while one of their songs were playing. And the very sound of their voice absolutely puts me into a tailspin to Total. this yeah, there are, I don't even remember his name, that guy who sings, oh, we're coming to America or whatever. Oh, oh, oh uh, uh, is that Springsteen? No, 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 it's not. But I know exactly the song you're talking. They play it like every 4th of July. Yeah. Whatever, whoever sings that song, I cannot yeah. listen to his voice. It is yeah. absolutely triggering to me. There are certain scents that are triggering to me, certain mm. colognes and things that are triggering yep. to me. It's a, our body's visceral reaction to danger, danger, danger. And so yeah. we have to like figure out how to be safe in that moment to let our yeah. partner know that we're triggered, to be able to talk through it That's and feel right. our yep. feelings because our body is used to shutting down and not letting us feel our feelings yep. because we can't feel our feelings because we would express our emotions and we would be killed. So like yes. there's all these things that you have to learn growing out of it. And this is, you know, this is some of the most beautiful work I've been able to do as an interior designer is be able to work with clients and to be able to hear their story and sit with yeah. them because every person on this planet has a story. And when they know that they're safe with me, it's somehow clients know they're safe with me. They know it. Even when I don't necessarily share my story, they start sharing theirs and they share the truth of it, the horrifying truths of it. Yep. And I can sit with their story and there's no judgment. There's no and and this is this is why you know this is kind of how it led me from being just an interior designer to really focusing on life design is yeah. because my clients are actually the ones who pointed it out to me they were like no i tell everyone that you're my interior designer and my life designer yeah and these are that. people who are exceptionally 
who are exceptionally successful in life, right? And they have dark, dark stories that oh, no sure. one would believe or, or understand. They're like heads of neuroanesthesiology at massive sure. medical groups, right? They're like incredible human beings, but they're sharing their story with me and I get to be part of changing and shifting their home yeah. to be a place of safety because sure. so much about our home, you know, especially if they choose to stay in that home for whatever yep. reason, when that traumatic relationship ends or that traumatic situation ends mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, there's a death or there's a, whatever it is, right. When yeah. we energy, we're all and everything's made of energy. So it the is. energy of what existed and what was done inside of a house stays with it. And oh, we can totally. transmute and we can change that energy by, you know, changing our perception and our view of a space by reorganizing that space, by moving furniture around, we can yeah. reset the stage and we can reset and transmute the energy of that space. Totally. Um, and that's what I was doing as an interior designer. And then they were like, and so like I, like four years ago, I was able to start like group coaching around what life design sure, is. Yeah. Start working with people in such beautiful ways. And it, and now somebody pointed this out to me the other day. They're like, you're an interior designer and an interior designer. Interior. I was going to say, yes. you do this design. that's why I, when you said it, I was like, I think she's a life coach. But I, what's interesting, what you said. So um, October 31st will be one year since I actually moved in with my now fiance. Wow. And thank you. Um, what was a good, bad, kind of weird situation. I was, you know had to sell the house after divorce. It was fine to let go of that. It was too much house for me, too much to take care of. Yeah. But I had, you know, condensed everything down to a storage unit and a two bedroom, tiny 900 square foot apartment, right? So we went from okay. <laughs> like 2,600 square feet down to 900. So my son and I had to really shrink. But the biggest blessing I had was my apartment got purchased by a nonprofit organization that oddly enough gives homeless people housing. So they kicked us all out. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I know. It was like, what? You out, but okay. Yeah. And it was really strange. And I was like offended. And then all of a sudden I went big blessing. I yeah. couldn't afford the last month's rent. Mm. So what I did was I donated the entirety of my apartment in one fell swoop. I got to get rid of 18 years of stuff I'd collected with my ex. Beautiful. Perfect. And Perfect. it was, and the only things I brought with me mm. was just a few tiny small things that I had actually either had before him purchased yeah. after him, or then my spiritual center, which is my altar, um, you know, in my house, that was, I never had that before him, like mm -hmm. dirt with him. It right. wouldn't have been allowed. And so that was it. Like yeah. literally I, I think we ended up with half of, you know, we got the smallest U-Haul and not even half of it had anything in it. Yeah. And I get what you're saying. That moment when I just got to walk yeah. out and push, but you know, like you said, rearrange or get yeah. rid of or purge or yeah. Or paint something like, like there's so much about abusive relationships that is just about little things because control mm -hmm. is, control is, is, is created in the small things, right? Yep. It's, it's the small thing. So like you wanted to paint a piece of furniture or replace the hardware or do yeah. something that would, that would express your creativity and they won't allow it. They don't like it because creativity is a direct it's in direct opposition to control right yep. it is it, it colors outside of the lines creativity taps into it's like they know that if you tap yeah. into your creativity you're tapping into your curiosity and you and absolutely will leave you will right? leave yep 
Um, and, and so, so giving yourself permission to do those things, to mm-hmm. sell your furniture and maybe yep. you can't afford to get brand new furniture, but there's lots of like furniture auctions and things. Oh yeah. Get beautiful, like sturdy pieces. You can paint them, you can sand them, you could yep. refinish them with, with spray paint for God's sake. Sure. And, and, and inexpensive hardware that you could get at Home Depot, right? And yep. transform the way that a piece looks, transform its connection to you yep. and, and, and do what you have to do to like, even if it's just one thing, you yep. paint one wall, you paint, one piece of furniture, you do one thing and just start with one thing to like reset that stage for yourself and yeah. let yourself start to take up, up space in your Thanks. own home. It yes. changes everything. It changes everything. That is such beautiful advice for people out there who are listening and watching this because it's, it's so true who, you know, and I think for me, and I know a lot of survivors are the same, especially early on. Um, yeah. I got divorced in 2020. I say it was the biggest blessing for me because mm-hmm. I had, I couldn't date. I couldn't move. On. I mean, I yeah. had to be in a space. I had nothing but time. Yeah. Um, but what happened was I became extremely reclusive. Mm. That happens. And it kind of, I feel like it kind of has to happen though. I think, and honestly, I look at it now and I'm like, you know, yeah. I really think that it had to happen. And And I found a way to make it, you know, accepting the fact that I, by nature, am introverted and what that means for me and mm-hmm. how stressful a job, you know, that's, that's yeah. part of the, why I started Flow Rising was I found so many survivors go on to start their own business out of, I can't hold a job. The environments, yeah. like fluorescent lights, absolutely not. That is a massive trigger with me. Like you talked about colors and sounds and fluorescent lights is a huge trigger because it was all that was allowed to be in our house. And I hate them because everything had to be bright, bright, bright light. And it, and it had to do from his own trauma because he always lived in cheap, crappy apartments. And that was just what he, that's the light that he expected. Mm. And I was like, hate fluorescent lighting. I hate the CFL. It's terrible. And so just things like, so every office you go into and it's just little things that I never understood, you know, or having CPTSD and now something triggers me and I'm in the middle of working with a customer that's not going to work. And so finding ways to really tap into that strength of, okay, I'm an introvert. I'm kind of reclusive now. Okay. There's plenty of ways. Now the world has gotten familiar and with online and I can function and people can work with me. And so just finding ways to do that, yeah. and work from home and do that. But it, it is yeah. interesting how, you know, every, everybody has a story of their past, whether it be, you know, as terrible as yours, where it's like just this, you know, really awful, I have to overcome all of these things to just function and be, be safe and be okay. Or, you know, even the kid who, you know, was totally fat as a child, and now they're a fitness expert, and they talk about nutrition, and they talk about health, and they talk about loving yourself. I mean, we can use what happened to us because in a lot of ways as children, we don't get to choose. Yeah. We don't get to choose. Mm-mm. Yeah. yeah. But at I some point, it does you know, as generation Z comes up and, yes. they're, and they're starting to get to the place where they can have children or choosing to have children, mm-hmm. you know, I, I hope that, you know, they, I mean, they're just so much smarter than we are. They saw things and they response yeah. to things was so much better than ours. 
um, then we had the space to be able to respond to. Right? Yeah. We didn't have the space to be able to respond to it the way that they yeah. were being able to. And I'm so excited and proud of them for that. And mm-hmm. I hope that their kids, you know, because gentle parenting is now becoming a thing that my generation and, and Gen X has yeah. started to implement a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, but mostly millennials and I think Gen Z will embrace it even more to be under understand that children are actual human beings, right? And if you wouldn't yep. do it to an adult, you can't do it to a child. To a child. If you wouldn't walk up to a ch- to an adult who has done something that you didn't want them to do and punch them or smack them or hit them or flick them, then you can't do that to a child either no. because of this trauma, right? You can't be like, don't hit and hit a child and expect them to understand the difference because there is no difference. Nope. Um and so, you know, I, I love and I see that the way the world is shifting is so beautiful and being mm-hmm. a part of it is so incredibly important. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. I think so much of working environments requires conformity. And I think yep. we see the inherent danger in that as people who have, were required to be conform, like conformity was was the mask we put on every yep. single day for survival was yep. pretending that our life was like everyone else's was what we yeah. needed to do to, to survive. And I think so, so we're inherently much more sensitive yep. to those systems of oppression because yeah. those systems of oppression were ever present in our life. We didn't have mm-hmm. the option of being blind to it. We didn't have the privilege of not seeing them. We saw them because we had to pretend to be something we were not. We were not. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so conforming and being parts of systems of oppression is absolutely not something we're capable of doing. <laughs> no, no. I, <laughs> I tell, I tell people I'm, I'm, I'm an extraordinarily open, you know, human being. And as you learned from even just meeting me before the show, yeah. extremely blunt, extremely yeah. like no holds bar. That's, and, a, that's a neurodivergent thing. That's a neurodivergent that, And That's a neurodivergent <laughs> thing that, and I was, but you know, but again, learns that that wasn't safe. So the only safety was saying nothing. Masking. Yeah. Saying nothing, masking, being passive aggressive. Those were the only ways we were allowed to communicate. And since we didn't know how to communicate that way, not communicating was the best way. Yeah. 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 Or, you know, the other was then the only, you either not communicated or you screamed. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Emotional dysregulation. Emotional dysregulation has absolutely been a struggle in my life because when I feel someone being dismissive or I'm triggered and then I feel like someone's being dismissive about it, my, I, or someone's being manipulative and denying Mm -hmm. manipulation, they're behaving in a very narcissistic manner. They're gaslighting me. It's really hard for me not to yell at someone. Yep. Like, I know you're fine. (laughs) I, I know you're doing it. Oh man. Oh and yeah. Like getting, I'm trying, like I've gotten so much better as an adult, but there's still those moments, especially with family. It really yeah. only happens with family anymore. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> it doesn't happen with anyone else. Yeah. It with family where I'm like, I can't, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm going to survive this moment. I, can't, I don't yeah. know if I can survive. I'm going to physically implode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, but it, it does get better and you do learn. And I've noticed, especially over the last two years, even with family, there's, we've gotten to this place where we can say, Hey, I'm triggered in this situation. I'm not okay. I don't feel safe. I'm not going to continue in this conversation and where we're all getting better at being able to, to give each other the space to, 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 you know, experience our emotions and, and and create some kind of safety, but we're all neurodivergent. So it's kind of hard. (laughs) Well, and that's, you know, I, I've sadly had to go the other route. I, my family, um, I, I'm having to ch- to make the very hard choice of just hard cut off. 
Oh, I did now. with my dad. Yeah, I did. Well, and it, it, I had to do it with my entirety of my family. Yeah, that's um, really because what happened was I tried to just cut off my mother, who is mm-hmm. my groomer for narcissistic, mm-hmm. and and then my mm-hmm. father, who was yeah. my first abuser. Um, yeah. Even though it's funny because you meet my father and he's like the most passive human being, but mm. she would tell him to spank me. Yeah, and he would. So yeah. to to me, it was both that's of them. How, that's how, yeah, it was for both. It was both my parents as well, and I had to both cut my mother them. off for a very long time for the same yeah. reason. And so I'm just at that point where it's like, you know, and I think the straw for me was that they looked at me and I started to try and tell my story to them and Mm. they looked at me and flat out went, we don't care. We don't want to hear your lies. Mm. And I went with that truth. Yeah. They can't sit with that truth. It's too painful. And I just, and so for me, it was just like, okay, you're not going to support. And so for now, I think, and I think a lot of us get there where we just have to hard cut Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm hoping, I'm always ever hopeful that at some point a dialogue can come back up, but it's just one of those yeah. things that happens. Yeah. Yeah. So as we come to the end of our time, first off, I want to say thank you for being brave and open and willing to share, because I truly believe the more of us who are open and yeah. sharing our stories, we, we bring light to, hey, you, the listener, the audience, you're not alone. If yeah. you are going through anything like this, you're not alone. And I think knowing that you're not alone is a really huge thing for all of us. So thank you for being on the show and being brave and sharing and and open about your story. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. For the audience who's listening, if they would like to get connected with you directly, learn more about life design and the work that you do or one of your workshops, what's the best way for them to connect with you right now? Um, definitely you can check out my website. Everything about me is there. Me as a public speaker workshops, all of that information is there. Um, also like portfolio for my interior design work, all of that's there. Um, you can also just email me directly. It's Shana. So S H A N A at consonate dot world. Um, and I'm sure they'll be able to see how to spell consonate in the show. Down below. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That's the best way. Send me an email. I absolutely will respond. Um, whether it be you just want to connect with me personally or you want to, you know, connect about anything that, that we talked about here or what I do, absolutely reach out. Wonderful. So yes, all of the information is in the show notes, whether you're watching or listening to this episode. Tap below, get connected with Shana, email her, learn more about her life design and how she might be able to help you change a little bit about how your world shows up for you so you can travel through your own healing space. So again, thank you, Shana, for being on the show. I appreciate your time and your story. To the audience, thank you for joining us. I am wishing you peace, love, and flow, and may your flow be ever rising. Until next time.